Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Hug It Out America Radio. I'm your host, Billy Park, and uh, we got a good show lined up for today. Sorry, I got a little thrown off, but my daughters come walking the door in the door in the middle of my going on the air, not the best thing to happen. But anyway, looking outside today, and again, it's cold. Uh, the next guest we're having on here today is Renee, and I have a feeling she's in California, and it's a lot warmer than it is here. And I'm going to go ahead and get her on the line right now. She's going to talk about her. She's a super creative woman I met. She's an artist. She's a healer. She's an author. She's a therapist. Man, she's everything. You can't put a label on her. You can't fit her in a box. That's Renee McKinnon. Let's see if we can get her on right now. Hey, Billy. Renee, how you doing? I'm good this morning. How are you? Doing good. How's it in California? It's a lovely morning here. I figured it was. (laughs) Yeah, we got a little sunshine trying to break through some clouds. I just need a little sweater and lots of birds out. It's springtime here, so it's really beautiful. What part of the city do you live in? So I live in uh, Ocean Beach in San Francisco. Oh, I know Ocean Beach. Yeah, I know it well. Oh, yeah. And that, that's where the um, the Beta Breakers ends, right? I'm over near the zoo. Oh, you're near the uh, zoo. Oh, yeah, I've been kind there. Of the I'm taking my kids there, the, too. Yeah, it's a long – we call it the edge of the Western world, actually. And I'm, I'm assuming it's, it's closed today. The zoo? The beach, the zoo, well, there's – yes, everything's closed out here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, I have a friend. We're in, I have a friend that. Go ahead. No, we're in pretty serious lockdown in the Bay Area. Yeah, I heard you were. We are here too in Massachusetts. Um, they just canceled our schools through the year, so it's been interesting with my two kids at home. And they they came in the door right when I was about to go on air. I had to like throw them out the door. <laughs> That's what happens when you have a home studio. <laughs> Things go on. Well, thanks for coming on. I mean, we, we've talked uh, phone a couple times, and then we've talked through Facebook. And I think the first time I talked to you, I had that wall of love thing going, right? And that was kind of the first interaction with us. We connected. That was when we really connected. I mean, we connected around Women's March before that. Oh, did we? Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That was how we met each other. Yeah. So so why don't you tell a little bit about you, you know, your history, who you are, and then get into some things you're doing. I know what I love about you is you're always doing all kinds of stuff. You can't really – you just use your creativity in so many different ways. That's why I wanted to have you on. Well, thank you, Billy. I think um, – well, so what do I want to say? So, I, you know, I was born in Boston. I – Lived there until I was 35. I moved out to San Francisco uh, in 1999 to follow a graduate school program. And Mm -hmm. um, in the kind of therapy I do, I I wanted to do something that was a little more integrated with mind, body, spirit, because I believe that we are all connected, all those parts of ourselves and a lot of kind of our culture and, and our scientific basis of thinking about things kind of divides everything up into compartments and, and um, especially with mental and emotional health, 
that doesn't work very well as far as I'm concerned anyway. So I came out to a, a wonderful graduate program um, at John F. Kennedy University in transpersonal psychology. And where's that? Well, that's in, uh, it's in Pleasanton, California, which is in the Pleasant. Bay Area. Okay. All right. Yep. Yeah. No Pleasanton. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, um, and so it was a really great program. And I had been cleaning houses for a long time. Oh, really? Uh, I come from, yeah. I come from a family of hoarders. And, you know, life really always, from my experience, presents us opportunities to heal whatever's happening with us if we pay attention. And You said you me, come from a family of hoarders? Yes. Oh, wow. Like that that TV show where they pack things floor to ceiling and you can't walk into the bedroom and, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. um, Okay. My house, particularly growing up, wasn't to that extent. My grandmother was, for sure. Mm -hmm. It was, like, super crazy dysfunctional. Um, But... And physical space for me is often a metaphor for the internal space of people. And um, mm. and so, I mean, I kind of, I didn't go into house cleaning think, thinking that it was going to be a healing experience for me. I went into it because I had a business that failed <laughs> and mm. I needed to pay my rent. Um, and I ended up cleaning houses what for was about that 12 business? years. What was that I business? actually tried to start a joint venture with Russia some Russian really? businesses, we ended up, my dad and I went to Russia in 1991, uh-huh. and it was a really powerful experience. We went in June of 1991 when Gorbachev was still in power, and there was a lot of stimulus programs they called Glasnost and Perestroika, where they were trying to integrate the Russian economy with the world economy, and cool. there was a lot of there was a lot of hard currency. There was a lot of opportunity for Western businesses to connect with Russian businesses. And um, so we went actually on a business exchange cruise from Moscow to St. Petersburg and back. It was a really life-changing trip. Um, in fact, I was in St. Petersburg the night that they changed to the name from Leningrad to St. Petersburg. And it was a huge party. It was a lot of fun. But oh, so we met a lot of Russian people and at that point, everything was for sale, and it was kind of crazy. We had opportunities to, like, work with industrial diamonds and refrigerators and computers, and <laughs> it was kind of like the Wild West. Um, but when we went back in October of 1991, um, Yeltsin was in power because in between June oh, yeah. and October was the August Revolution. And was that Boris everything Boris, right? Boris Yeltsin, yeah. Yeah. So uh, it was a really powerful experience, a really powerful time. And because there was all kinds of craziness happened, um, all the hard currency disappeared. And um, and so none of the businesses that we had originally kind of finagled to try to work out. Because it was a little complicated because the rubles not was not traded in the rest of mm-hmm. the world. So we had to do this kind of, it was almost like a barter thing to try to work it out to do a business with Russia at that point. So anyway, uh, yeah. this is well. I don't. I don't, I don't think you. I don't think you picked up a Russian accent, but you still got that Boston accent. I hear it. I still get the Boston accent. <laughs> I do. So I, ended up, so 
I ended up cleaning houses because, um, you know, life, again, life, I think, is always here to support us and, and provides us with opportunities for the next right thing. And mm-hmm. and so, um, and I loved, I loved house cleaning. You know, I often say that I moved from cleaning houses to cleaning people's spirits. Mm-hmm. Interesting. <laughs> um, and um, so I was, this is an interesting story. So I was in graduate school and... I had moved to San Francisco, and I was starting up my cleaning business to support myself while I was going through school. And what was it called? I got introduced. I just called it Renee McKenna House Cleaning, but okay. um, I was nothing, nothing fancy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I get introduced to this woman who, and and the first day, she was giving me a tour. She had a beautiful house, and. Uh, and she said, so this is, she showed me her office, and she said, you know, if the door is closed, don't open it. That means I'll be with a client. And I said, oh, what kind of client? And she said, oh, I'm, I'm a hypnotherapist. And I said, oh, I'm in graduate school. I'm really interested in studying different modalities. You know, would you be willing to, like, trade a session with me for a house cleaning, whatever? And, um, and she ended up being my spiritual teacher for the next 14 years. And simultaneously, my regular graduate school program I did um, I did a training with her in Mm -hmm. what's some of the basis of the work that I do now and I trained in shamanic healing and uh, depth hypnosis and actually started seeing clients as a hypnotherapist before what was the first thing you said shamanic what did you say shamanic what was that word shamanic healing so like shaman, like witch doctors yeah. sort of thing. I mean, not that actual meaning, but so think people of that. Okay. tend to think of shamanism. So the old view of shamanism is witch doctors, but really mm-hmm. what shamanism is is that it's working with the energy of nature directly oh, as a okay. healing force. That's really yeah. shamanism is similar to what some Eastern traditions call animism, which which is like, I don't know if you know about Taoism, which is, um, that's an Eastern Asian uh, spiritual tradition, oh, okay. which in Taoism and animism and in shamanism as well, it's the idea that everything has a life force in it. Everything mm-hmm. has uh, its own intrinsic wisdom and strength and energy and power if we're, able to tune into that and listen to mm-hmm. it, whether you work with plants or you work with the earth or you work with um, animals mm-hmm. um, and working working in the non-physical, what I call the non-rational, which is mm-hmm. actually really where most people's dysfunction resides, is in mm-hmm. our non-rational, non-physical. It's in our feelings, it's in our thoughts, it's in our experience and our body felt um, I mean people certainly have dysfunction in the physical world that, that manifests but it usually manifests itself out of those other kind of non-rational places so working shamanically um, really allows what I call I call it our active imagination which is our own um, again kind of non-rational often in images or sensory or body felt or intuitive 
ways of experiencing the world. And when we can really open up to those ways of knowing, we get a whole bunch of information and things can take form in our active imagination that we can often have a lot of trouble grasping if we're just going to try to talk about it with words. And mm-hmm. once something has a form in our active imagination, we can work with it directly in really powerful ways that can mm-hmm. provide incredible healing. So so the work, I, I love the work that I do. I, I And so... Um, Incredibly profound and, and powerful work. Um, coming from Boston as a kind of native skeptic, um, doing Northern California, nutty, crunchy, working with earth, nature, spirits was not on my radar as something that would mm-hmm. feel of interest to me at all. Um, I would have rolled my eyes at stuff like that, but it's really through the experience of the truth and the profoundly powerful nature of the healing that I've experienced and that I see other experiences that's made me not only open, but now an advocate. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting stuff. Um, Yeah. Just finished writing a book about the the basic 15 processes of my work. Um, Which I call spiritual psychology. Did you not think you, did you tell me your, did you do hypnotherapy too? So hypnotherapy and shamanism are really cousins. They're very, very similar. They okay. work with the same. They really work with the same, the self. Uh, it's just I like to say they're just different. It's the same mountain you're climbing or the same destination you're going to. It's just different ways to get there. And hypnotherapy is probably like taking a bus, and shamanism is more like riding a mountain bike. But it'll get you the same okay. place. Well, um, when I lived in San Francisco, I, I dated a girl who's a hypnotherapist, and she was trying to get me to understand um, the chakras and all that, and maybe I just wasn't <laughs> old enough to appreciate it, but I never could get that stuff. She was telling me about the different chakras in your head and your heart and all these different places and stuff, um, but I mean, it's Good to have these conversations now because I'm more open to it now, right? I, I I wouldn't even give that kind of conversation the time of day to talk about. But I think we got to just start opening our mind a little bit, and it takes time to do that stuff in people. And you know, glad to have you on to talk about this. And so you said you, you wrote you wrote a, wrote a book. Or have you written the book already? The book is out. The book, the is, book out. is out. It's called. It's called Allies and Demons, Working with Spirit for Power and Healing. And it's really about our allies are our own intrinsic strengths that we have. Uh-huh. And maybe connecting with higher power in however we connect with that, whether that's God or our own highest self or, again, you know, the spirit of nature. However people understand um, connecting with help beyond their own limited resources. And our demons are our fears and our anger and our unresolved emotional wounds. And um, when we can connect with our own strengths, then we can heal our own wounds. And um, kind of, it's kind of like the idea, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the myth of the hero's journey, um, that we all can kind of become heroes of our own life if we have that. The, if we have the right resources and the right, um, map, mm-hmm. then we can navigate. We can navigate whatever 
in front of us and um, get the treasure back from the dragon, bring it back to the village. What 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 made you write the book? Well, you know, I've been um, a mommy and had my little private practice for about 20 years in my house, seeing individual clients. And, you know, my kids started to get big, and it felt like it was time for me to do the next thing. And also, um, because we did meet at Women's March, I, even if you don't remember, that was kind of that was actually how we connected at the end. Um, I do I remember. I do remember March. you doing that. Yeah, I was the lead of Women's March in San Francisco, the first one in in 2017. And coming out of that experience, uh, I realized I wasn't really a political person. Um, doing the initial march, which was really an outpouring of love and community connection, and mm. and for me, like the best, the best of a lot of the best of what happens in America. Um, about inclusion and social justice and speaking for those who couldn't speak for themselves. Um, and I realized I wasn't really interested in resisting. Resisting isn't, isn't it's, it's a necessary thing that needs to happen, but that's not my strong point. I'm probably more interested in envisioning what wants to happen next. And so I left Women's March. And they that's why I dig you so list, much, Renee. We have similar minds in that 100%. I mean, what what made you realize that? Well, actually what made me realize it, you know, again, I, I, I have this philosophy that we're a body, a mind, and a spirit, and, and social, emotional, like we have all these different parts. And we really need, they all give us information about ourselves. And mm-hmm. um, I was exhausting myself, and it was starting to not feel good. You know, if things don't feel good, we have to pay attention to that. I think that's information for us. Like, we have feelings, we have our body, we have all these these resources to help guide us in what's the next right step in our life. And um, not that there's a predetermined path, and I think there's lots of next right steps, but, you know, if we have pain and discomfort and dysfunction, it gives us information that something's wrong. So I started to not feel good. I was starting to get exhausted. It was depleting me um, once the march was over uh, I could just feel that this wasn't the place mm-hmm. that was serving me and I have you know I, I, I really relate to that I relate to that idea a lot you may know this just recently I worked on my first political campaign for a woman called Tulsi Gabbard um who has an idea called aloha, which aloha means share, and ha means the breath of life, share the breath of life. In Hawaiian, we're all part of one family and everything. But it was a political campaign, and though I enjoyed the aloha part, it completely exhausted me. I didn't, I I mean, I love her, but just getting in the hall, the politics of things just sucks so much out of you. Um, Whereas, as you know about my Hug It Out America movement, the things you do, you know, putting on the positive and trying to learn about people and how to find out, you know, who they are and how to bring out the best in them and what's next to them, like you said, empowers me and makes me feel stronger. So I decided through this process, I mean, I worked my butt off on that campaign, that I would not do that again. <clears throat> and I've, I've gone back into going completely away from politics, 
So I get completely what you're saying. It can just be kind of exhausting no matter what side or what your politics are. It's just very it's, – and it's a resistance no matter what side you're on. And I, I don't like that resistance idea either. I've never liked it. Um, you know, and it doesn't imply positivity. So, yeah, I, I agree with you on that 100%. Um, well, that's that – I mean, be, so, you know, you're listening to yourself and – we all have, you know, I, I like to say we're all ingredients in a big giant stew here and we all need to know what our own ingredient is. And we're all a unique configuration of something that we have to bring. And I think that whatever it is that actually brings us joy and what fills us and nourishes us and makes us feel good, that's actually information about what we're supposed to bring into life. And, uh you know, so I, I, for me, I'm dedicating my life now, and I think you do the same thing in in your own way, to helping people find what that is for themselves. I'm I feel very grateful that I've found it for myself, and I want and that's you know a lot of the impetus for the book. After mm-hmm. leaving Women's March, and also deciding I don't ever want to be exhausted like that again. Um, you don't ever want to be what? exhausted like that again like yeah, that was a really yeah. important information for me that that because uh, my even it started to affect my health and and uh and it, it was a learning it was a really powerful learning experience just to pay attention to what's true for me so anyway i but i still want to do something for the country i want to do something for the larger make the world a better place because my life is good and, and now i need to to bring that out into the world. And for me, as I contemplated what I could do or, or kind of even what, what's the, what is the problem? Like what was woman's match about? What is the underlying issue? Because, you know, I see this in my therapy work and I, and I think that it's, it's a way to look at things that's really helpful. If we can find the deepest problem and solve that, then all of the situations and all of the things that kind of are um, results of that deeper problem will resolve themselves. The kind mm-hmm. of symptoms will resolve themselves if we can if we can really work with the biggest issue. So, um, you know, like if somebody has cancer and they have a stomachache, like you can work in the stomachache, but if you don't deal with the cancer, then <laughs> yeah. then it's not, you know, you're going to solve the bigger problem, right? And for me, it feels like, the biggest, pro- the deepest problem that I can do something about is that I believe that there's a sickness in our culture. I think that there's there's some real um, misdirection in our culture, and that a lot of the problems that we have, a lot of the suffering people have, is a result of that. And so that, and and what can I do? That was my question. You know, what can I do? what's the ingredient I bring to the stew. And for me, it's psycho-spiritual development. It's personal growth work. It's healing our own uh, underlying problems. And if we evolve ourselves, because culture is really just a culmination of everybody who's here. It's a big algorithm of all, you know, 220 million plus whatever. Um, if if, If I can help individual people to heal themselves, then that's the best thing I can do to try to heal our country and to try to heal the world. So that that was my impetus for writing the book. And um, um, 
And so in your practice, is that kind of what you did with your practice? So my practice, I still see individual clients. I'm actually moving into mentoring other healers now, which is very exciting. Um, Because as I've said, I like the idea of having a mission statement. I think that it's been really helpful for me as a business owner. I've had different businesses over the years. And and knowing what your primary purpose is, knowing what your intention is, really can help set your compass of where Mm -hmm. you're going to go. And, I mean, you may end up in a different place than you think you're going to go, but it gives you a direction, and you keep coming back to that. And so, you know, for me, my mission statement has been for a long time to use all of my gifts and talents for the service of the most people. And so that has integrated itself into my work, into the book of how can I bring, how can I bring this work, this profound connecting healing work uh, to the widest audience possible. And so that's why I wrote a book. I have my own podcast now, Spiritual Psychology. Um, it's out on pretty much, you can find it on almost any, almost any of the channels that podcast. Um, I podcast every week myself. And um, so now I'm trying to bring this out to, bring this work out to a wider audience. And now, you know, bringing it out to people who work with other people. So there's a little bit of a pyramid happening so that people will be able to find their own spiritual connection. Um, I'm also working with people, not just other healers, but working with people in the corporate world. You know, I feel like the word spiritual is often overused, but, you know, people, we live in such a materially oriented culture and I think people are really starving for community. They're starving for spiritual connection. They're starving for a sense of meaning and purpose in their own lives. And this, you know, a lot of the practices that that I offer um, can really help people connect with their own highest self, with their mm-hmm. own deepest purpose, with the, with these aspects of themselves, whether they work again, with other people or they work corporately, like how to incorporate spirit, how to incorporate their own intentions um, into the work in a practical way, into their world in a practical way. Um, so that's my intention. That's what, that's what I'm trying to do. Um, and, and we'll see and let me ask how you... successful. I mean, what's success? I don't know. Let me ask you a question that, you know, kind of more for my information to help me. So you said you 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 did a podcast. Is that hard to set up? Because, you know, I just started doing this radio station for about two weeks, and I've talked to all kinds of different people, but I'd like to upload it to a podcast. Is that pretty easy to do? It is so easy to do, Billy. Yes. So I use a platform called Anchor, and I'll give them a plug. <laughs> okay. Um Yeah, I use a platform called Anchor. It's super easy to use. You get, it's actually free, and you can just upload an MP3 once you set up an account with them, and they put it out over almost every major channel, iTunes and Spotify and Google Hmm. Podcasts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Yeah, they have excellent distribution. They're pretty fast. It's It's a really great platform. I, I find it incredibly user-friendly, 
and and I've had you do you do it live? It. Do you do no. anything live? No. no. So I pre-record, and I mean they have it. You can even record on your phone. Uh, okay. I record. I record on my laptop because the quality is much better. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I actually use an Adobe Audition, which is a recording thing. But there's tons and tons of different recording platforms. Yeah, and then I just save. Uh, I save what I podcast and I edit it a little bit and save it as an MP3, and then it can just upload it onto Anchor. Yeah, I, I was just curious because that was kind of be my next step. I'm on a, I'm on a really obscure platform for people to listen to this they basically have to click a link and it's got a lot of snafus but i really like the live part because you never know where this goes and i like the idea that there's an unpredictability to what can go on my show and things can go wrong things can go right things can go funny things can go sad they've already done that on the show um and i like that but i do want to have to have people to be able to upload it so they can you know, everybody has that time from 12 to, to whatever to, to listen to my show. They don't have it. So um, thank you for the information on the podcast stuff because I'm going to look into that more um, as, I, as I move forward. Um, but so a, a question about the book, um, Are you are you where are you selling it now? So the book's on Amazon. Uh, you can search Allies and Demons. Okay. And... It's also it's on Kindle. It's on, as a regular, uh, regular hardcover book, and it's also available on my website at reneemckenna dot com. Okay. And I'm actually and just finishing up. Go ahead. I'm just I'm just finishing up getting an audio book. Um, I've been working with a narrator and recording an oh, audio book. Wow. So my book isn't isn't just. A reading book. It's actually about getting people to do the inner personal growth work and inner transformational kind of It's like a workbook work. too. So it's kind of like a... there is a workbook, uh, but there's also there's a whole series of guided audio that actually goes. So each chapter actually under, uh, explain the concept, and then there's an inner what I call inner journeys, which is kind of like a guided meditation that goes with each chapter that is actually about doing the inner work as if you were in a session with me. And part of the reason I wanted to do this, too, was that I want to make this work as widely accessible as possible. And some people can't afford to do therapy. It's too much money for them one-on-one. And so this yeah. is a way for people to be able to access this work. I mean, right, the the inner journeys are actually available for free because I – I have a secondary podcast, which is Allies and Demons, and if you search Allies and Demons as a podcast, you can get all of the inner journeys for nothing. Mm-hmm. Because I, so, I want to make this as available as possible. So when you got another question that crossed my mind, when you got this thing done for an audio book, and I don't think a lot of people know out there know about this, so do you – you pick the narrator, you get people to audition. Because I worked as a, as a, I was a copywriter in, in an ad agency, and I did a lot of radio ads. So I'd go in the studio, and I'd get tons of people auditioning for the roles in my parts. In this, is that what you do too? People audition for the role, or how does it work to read your book? Well, so I have people can absolutely do that. I and and through Audible, which is the audio book arm of Amazon. Yeah, um, you can do that and hire people. But 
so for me, I hate shopping. And I always tell God, you got to make this easy for me. <laughs> so generally, whatever the next right thing is for me, it just comes right in my face, and it's very obvious. So what happened for me was I knew I needed to do an audio book because a lot of people don't have time to read now or a lot of – so listening to books on audio, they yeah. have to do it that yeah. way. And, and my idea was – to try to learn how to do it myself. And reading an audiobook is really different from doing a podcast. I'm a big talker, but doing an audiobook is much more like acting. Mm, and so okay. I I decided to hire a voice coach, a narration coach. And so I went online and I found this fabulous woman, Rachel Elena. She's in she's in Colorado. Kudos to Rachel. And mm-hmm. she has a thing called Big Bite Studio and she trains people. She's a she's a voiceover person professionally. Mm-hmm. And a singer, and so she has a coaching business. So I hired her as a coach, and we worked together for a couple months as I was trying to get my own skill level and learn about how to do audio in a more professional narration kind of a way. Mm-hmm. And after a couple months of working with her, I actually decided. Uh, actually, what happened was one day. <laughs> so she's fabulous. And I said, well, we started to read the book together, and so I would, we would record my reading. And then I said, well, Rachel, would you record your reading? Because I want to hear how you do it. Because there's all kinds of different tone and inflection and timing mm-hmm. to make it interesting to listen to. And so she recorded the same session I did. And as I listened to hers, I said, Rachel, you have to do my book for me. Because I could do this for five years, and I'll never be as good as you. And so originally so, you were going to do it yourself. I was going to try to do it myself, and then I decided to hire Rachel to do it. And what's really cool, again, because we live in an interactive universe, and for me, that are life like a conversation. We're always breathing in and breathing out, and, and, mm-hmm. and the universe is always responding to us and our needs and our desires and, and our issues. Anyway, so... It turns out Rachel has her own spiritual practice. She's very, very interested in personal growth work. And so we ended up actually trading work. And so part of the audiobook was actually paid for because she was doing some of this work oh. as well um, with me, which is really fun because then she's actually not just reading the words, but she's kind of lived them herself mm-hmm. and really mm-hmm. understands the meaning and purpose of the work because she's kind of embodied it. So. It's been a really beautiful, exciting process. Well, I knew you had a good story. I, I had a feeling there was something behind there <laughs> with with the, the narration <laughs> of the book. Um, I wanted to ask you something on a, on a different topic um, that I'm thinking. Think, how do you think um, is you know our society advances and we get more and more reliant? I mean, even now more than ever. Um, because of the crisis we got going on on social media and how that impacts how people connect um, as opposed to what you're trying to achieve? Oh, Billy, that is such an exciting question for me right now because I'm right on the edge of that. I have had, I have had a pretty distant relationship with social media Mm-hmm. All of Women's March was organized on Facebook, and that was a really powerful process. So I know the power of social media to connect and inform people, and 
and it's a really amazing thing that's never existed before. So, you know, literally you can be connected with anyone worldwide. Um, Foreman's Mark, as I've tried to make, and, and historically too, as I've used social media for my own purpose, my own individual purposes, I've been very disappointed, actually, with the level of connection I've been able to achieve. In fact, you know, you're one of the few people, even though we've never even met in person, that I feel a genuine, authentic connection with. A lot of times, the connections that when I try to go deeper with people to actually have a conversation, to actually ask them, like, what's going Mm -hmm. on besides a like or a thumbs up, they aren't interested. It felt very surface to me. And I'm not a surface person. I'm actually not interested in surface connections with people. So yeah. so I haven't done much with social media except post some of my artwork and, and occasionally. Mostly I've just used it professionally and with my artwork. And in thinking about marketing the book and thinking about stepping out and owning my experience and my expertise as a teacher at this point, I'm aware that social media is the main platform and, yeah. and and there's this wealth of opportunity and it's also a place that I need to be able to navigate. And I've really, a lot of my own personal work that's been happening simultaneous to the book, because anything we do calls us to grow. My yeah. own personal growth work has been this question of how do I bring myself authentically into social media? <laughs> because there's so much inauthenticity there. There's yep, so much, you know, I mean, I'm 56, I have a wrinkle, you know, I, I have a, you know. So, and then I step out as a middle-aged woman, you know, do I have to get my face done in order to be on YouTube? Do I need mm. to change my accent? Do I need to fucking swear? Can I do, you know, mm. like, can I be myself? Or do I need to be this other person which is which is really the shadow side of social media that that it's the idea that we only show this this perfect picture of ourselves and then all of the wrinkles and the and the mess um we hide and 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 i see the suffering that that causes my clients and and for me what i've been trying to do is get the courage because it really feels like it takes a lot of courage to actually be completely who I am and let the haters be haters and let the judges be judges and let the lovers come. Um, and so I'm right on the edge of trying to learn how to use social media in an authentic way and experimenting with it. And I, I have to say I'm a novice at it. Yeah. I, I mean, I... I me about that, Billy. Speak back to me yeah. about authenticity and social media. I need help with that. Oh, you picked the wrong person. I struggle with it every day, too. I mean, when I, when I was on my hug tour with my daughters going to all the states we went to over the summer, I think we went to 26 states, um, I would have to advertise myself on social media, and it was the biggest conundrum every time I did it because it's so what I didn't want to do, but it's how I – I got people to reach me. So at the end of my broadcast, when my daughters were holding the camera, and I always go, "Don't, don't like me, don't follow me, go hug somebody." That's what I say at the very end of my of my broadcast every time because like it's just kind of like this conundrum with social media that you have, and it's interesting because my perspective is a little different. My perspective is 
not that we show, try to show our best self, that our worst self comes out on the Internet, that all these things come out that you say behind social media, what I call keyboard courage, that you say to people that you would never say to them in person. And you're able to get up away with it, and it just keeps ramping up and ramping up to where we completely forget our humanity of each other because we're communicating through a keyboard. And that's my biggest worry, that that happens, that that connection is more and more. And like you said, before, you know, at least you type something, but now you don't want to type. You, you, you just want to hit a symbol on a keyboard. You don't want to interact with a person at all. You do as much little communication, even through a keyboard, as you possibly can, just to be a voyeur and not put your two cents into it. I don't know if that makes sense to you. It totally makes sense. And I wonder, like, so what do you think about that? What do you think, you're, you're a solution-seeking person. Like, what, how do we manage that? Because this is the way that people communicate now. And how do we bring humanity through the keyboard? Or how do we help other people to do that? Well, I think what you said, you ha- you have you have to be, honest with people but the second thing i think you need to do um is you really need to take a breath before everything you write you need to realize not go straight from id impulses people go straight from their id impulses they write something down and a couple minutes later they really feel bad about that they feel bad i've written things on my page that I, then I, I feel bad about the next day, and if I go on my page and I don't like what I wrote, I erase it. So people come across my page, see something, and I, and, and I do this all the time. I think we just have to be conscious of what we're doing, but also have the conversations with people that you're having a hard time communicating with. Some of the, the best things that I've learned is to have conversations with people that we have very big differences. We may get in a in a bit of a verbal conflict. Like people attack me all the time, but I work really hard to stay civil and just keep what I'm talking about and not get personal with somebody. But if somebody gets personal with me, I won't abandon it. I'll try to get them back because I think it's good good practice for me to when I'm out in the real world to do that too. I don't know if that answers your question, but I think we need to be more civil and, and think twice before what we do. And it all more than anything, I think going out beyond the keyboard, putting the screen away as much as you can, which is the obvious thing that people do, but we got to do like Like right now, I'm doing a show tomorrow on people who are creating connection not through a screen because there's so many things right now that are tied into a screen because we're stuck inside zoom zoom and zoom you'd think they created the virus they're so popular right now because man nobody even knew who they were and now everybody knows who they are and then all this facebook live and everything i think we just gotta push ourselves to not saying you know the screen is just a tool to reach people and then go further to go outside that tool to see them face-to-face, if that makes any sense. Well, it's interesting 
How old are your kids? Um, I have an 11 and 13 year old. And what's their relationship with screens? Ooh, well, you're talking about I, I, I have I'm a dictator with screens in my house. <laughs> they, they, they only get most 30 to 40 minutes a day to to be on a screen. Wow. Um, but I'm pretty religious about them. They get mad at me sometimes. You know, during this time, I've been a little more lots because they're stuck inside. But I try to get them out, you know, doing stuff. Both my daughters read a lot. I'll let them read books, and I will let them read on their Kindles. But I won't, because I think that's a good tool to read from. But I won't let them get on the social media stuff. They're not. They don't even have a phone. They won't. I won't even give my kids a phone until the ninth grade, and all their friends have it. So. But I want them to connect with people because I think we're in danger of losing our humanity through through technology. And I'm going to fight that as long as I can and try to get people to talk to people. Like we went on the tour. That was a great experience, and they got to talk to a lot of people. Um, and they saw my struggle with social media, how I didn't want to be on there. And, and my kids give me a hard time about it. But, you know, it's always a struggle to do that stuff. What about – you said you, do you have – you have a girl? You have one girl? Is that right? I have a I have a girl and a boy, 17 yeah, but, and 15. 17 and 15. Oh, well, almost. They're, they're, they're 16 and 14. So they're, um, they both have almost all of their connections. Certainly during this period of time, they're both on with their friends constantly and yeah. all through all through electronics, and that's actually pretty normal. I mean, that was normal before this for my daughter to be on this this app called House Party, which is kind of like Zoom for kids, where all the kids get together and they can all see each other. They do their homework together. They'll just have the screen on, and their friends are in their rooms, and everybody's in their room, and they're all doing their homework together, hanging out on on electronics. Yeah, and my son does it on another server called Discord, which is mostly a gaming platform. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I should maybe say that. Yeah, and so and he talks to people all over the world all the time on Discord. Oh, that's and, cool. Yeah, I mean, for her, she, she's really socially savvy. For him, he's mm-hmm. a little bit on the autism spectrum, and so for him, it's easier for him to connect with like-minded people. He's a kind of a nerdy, super brilliant kind of kid who mm-hmm. can be a little bit challenged by face-to-face interaction. And so uh, yeah, that it, makes served sense. Him, it served him, but it also has stopped him from being able to develop what might have naturally developed if it wasn't. I feel a little bit like I've been outvoted on screens now at the age that they're at. I had them also, I was a Nazi with screens for a really long time and then, and then I got some phones, and that was it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the phone stuff, I, everybody I talked about, that's just like you're jumping off a cliff. You can't get back up there, you know. Nope. <laughs> it's, no. It's a hard way to do that. And, you know, I, I still, that's going to be a big struggle. But, um, yeah, I decided that they have to be in, in, in at least ninth grade before they get a they get a phone. And, and I, I think, Based on where they are in schools, it's gonna be it won't be too hard. If they were in a big high school, it'd be a problem. One of my daughters goes to a small Montessori school, um, and 
there's a tiny amount of kids, and they're really about keeping people off screens. Um, so there's not a lot right. of kids who bring their phone in. And then I have another daughter that goes to a school for dyslexia. She has dyslexia, and she has, you know, two to three kids in her class. And uh, she actually she has um, ADHD, so I, you know, have to learn. I learn a lot from her, you know, about the way I do things and mm-hmm. stuff. But so the um, it's not that hard. I think it'd be much harder for me if I was in a, a traditional high school or even a middle school. Um, where there'd be a lot more pressure around. So I can see how people, right. you know, that happens to them. Um, have you ever heard of the, the movie uh, Screenagers? Oh, yeah. Did I, you see I, it with I your kids? Screenagers all the time. I have actually not seen it. I know of it, and, and we've talked about watching it. I've heard it's pretty powerful. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I don't know if you know um, – the way they work it is you have to actually buy the 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 video and agree to show it in a large auditorium. You can't get online, you can't watch it anywhere, and you have to buy it with a group of parents, watch it in an auditorium and have a discussion after it. So I watched it with some high school kids with my wife three years ago. And it, and they also have things where they set up contracts, where they set up a contract um, with their kids with the cell phone going up to that time. So they know exactly what's expected of each other. Because the other problem is, which I'm sure you know, if you don't have a screen in high school in certain schools or, or a phone, you're out of the loop. Like you don't learn a lot of stuff that's going on. So you're you're socially out of the circle. So. It, it, it's a reality you have to deal with, but this 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 uh, documentary I saw was pretty amazing. And so we, all these different age people sat down in this auditorium. We watched the thing, and then all ages of people, parents and kids, had a discussion for like an hour about it, you know, about the about the about the movie. And I thought it was a really cool idea. I liked that a lot. So, um, yeah, but that's the story with the screen stuff. You know, another thing I wanted to ask you um, before we run out of time is your art stuff. Are you still able? To, I mean, you got so much going on. Are you still able to do any of your art stuff? Oh, I have to do art. I have to do art. That's my that's my one of my happy places. Working with people and doing my art. And so I've actually done. I did a really fun art installation just two weeks ago. Uh, sometimes I take road trips. I like to go ATVing and out into the country and drive far. And, and so I, I knit and crochet while we drive. And mm-hmm. I collect up all my crocheting and I sew it all together and then I put it up on telephone poles. And um, it's called different things in different places. I, I call it knit bombing or yarn bombing. And um, that's cool. And so it's kind of like gorilla gorilla public art is probably my favorite. I mean, I do do a lot of painting. That I sell and, and have shown in a couple places, but public art is my is my favorite. So I did. In fact, there's a cute little video. I'll send you a link to it. Um, that I put. So I I climb up the telephone pole. I mean, this thing was about eight feet long, and I and I attach the um, attach the yarn, the knitting to the telephone pole, so it covers the whole mm-hmm. thing. It's really great colored. And my neighbor. Uh, I live in this nice little neighborhood, and, and so two of my neighbors came out, 
and then my other neighbor came out, and then my dog walker came by, and we ended up with a little social distancing party out in front of my house, and uh, one cool. of the neighbors came out and started playing the guitar, and then the other people were dancing, and so we had this really beautiful, it's one of the things that public art can do, it can bring people together, and and so, um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's the kind of stuff you share on social media, right? You show where you're doing stuff outside, face-to-face with people on social media where they say they get jealous. Why? Wow, maybe I should get off the screen, right? Maybe I should go outside. So did you share that on social media, or was it just spur of the moment and you couldn't get it on? No, I shared it on social media. In fact, it kind of became the little yarn bomb became a little bit of a destination, Um, you know, because people were out walking around and getting exercise, and and so people were coming by. They still do. They come by to see it. Um, and uh, wow, that's cool. Yeah, that's very cool. Because yeah. there's not a lot of things out there that you know that people are doing. Because um, it's so tough. You have to get so creative right now, right? You have to be six feet apart. Yet, you, you know, you're the stuff that you normally would do. You have to get so creative in the ideas of having human-to-human connection that doesn't involve a screen. And that's cool that you did that. I mean, that, I mean, how did, how did you come up with that idea? Well, the yarn bombing I've been doing for a long time. Um, okay. And, and I'm certainly not the only one that does it. There are, there are lots of people worldwide that do it. So, uh-huh. um well, like the hug thing. Yeah, a lot of people do hugs, too, I was too, crocheting right? and then finding different places to put it. And telephone poles is a really fun place to put it. So um, I actually have another one that I'm getting ready to put up right now. Um, I mean, I think, so, you know, I, I, my boyfriend and I are both very creative. And he has a little furry car, which is like like one of those bicycles for two things that you sit in. They, they rent them in cities and parks and stuff. They're usually dead. So we have mm-hmm. a little furry car, and, and we've been driving around the neighborhoods playing music. Um, and we have a little megaphone, and, and, and he's very funny. And so we yell funny things to people, and we wave at all this the neighbors. This does not and, surprise and me at all about you. I love to hear this that's kind a, of stuff. That's another, uh, that's another one of our public art. Um, but that's great. What kind of music are you playing? Oh, we were playing reggae last time we went out. But we right, played, there you he's go. Into, he's into doom metal. We, we play all kinds of different music. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on the mood. Depends on the mood, and we and we bicycle around and wave at everybody. Lots of people are kind of out on their porches and stuff here in the city, and and um. Yeah, I mean, you got to yeah, do stuff to try to lift friendly. yourself up and lift the people around you at the same time, right? I mean, that's good. You're Absolutely. doing that stuff. And have fun. You got to have fun. And have Lord fun. Is yeah, a we. Source of power. We don't do a lot outside. It's not super nice here, so we haven't done a lot outside. We've done a little bit. Um, my 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 daughter has this idea called Family Stones, where she's decorated stones. I'm a, I'm a, she's going to talk about this tomorrow, but basically she creates stones with my wife and my other daughter. They paint them, and they put them on the front porch of people all around our neighborhood, and they can pick them up when they go out you know, pick up the mail or something, see the thing that says love or some famous quote or something. Nice. And we've been been dropping around porches and we're calling it family stones and it's cool. And, and then another thing we, we we do that's kind of similar to like your your thing with blast music around in the morning we do and 
I don't know, probably not, probably about nine o'clock. I don't know if you know. Um, there's a Facebook group called Mike. You know who Michael Fronte is. I bet you know who he is. I know the name. So you should listen to him. He's a a great singer who's all about humanity and bringing everybody together. You will dig him. He's amazing. So I'm on a Facebook group of his. And everybody kind of has this kind of mindset of we're all together and, and positivity and everything. So we have a skate party in our house, and we skate around and play his music and use the Facebook and try to get other people to do it in other kitchens around all over. I haven't got anybody joining in yet, but we'll continue to do that. And the kids like it because, you know, we just kind of marks up the hardwood floors a little bit, but we have a good time. Well, thanks for coming to the show and talking to me, I appreciate it. I I, I knew I'd enjoy t- talking to you. And um, well, one thing I want to ask you about, I just remember the last minute. So I remember you were doing something on the beach with a heart or something like that. What was that thing you were doing? So right after the election, there was kind of a resurgence of the neo-Nazi super crazy right-wing stuff happening. And hmm. there was a group that came, and I can't remember the name of them, uh, a, a neo-Nazi group that was coming to San Francisco, and there was a huge outrage against them and big protests against them. I mean, there was probably 40 of them and like 40,000 people. And so we decided uh, with a friend of mine, and I can't think of his name right now, um, it's a guy who has organized these big human resists. He did resist on Ocean okay. Beach before okay. with like a couple thousand people. So he's really good at doing that, organizing people. And we decided to to um, create a heart, and we had a big American flag. And, well, that's cool. Well, I, I can't. Uh, I, so sorry, I, I mentioned this at the last minute, but I. I can't. I'm about to get cut off in just a second. It's only an hour show, okay. so I, I want to say I do want to recommend one thing. After hearing what what you just told me, I want you to look up a guy named Frank Meek on the internet. F R N K M E E I N K, and okay. hear his story. Based on what you said, it may may challenge what you just said a little bit, and let you see an amazing guy who used to be. Uh, neo-Nazi, and now is going around the country helping people get away from that and helping people understand how he got to where he was. So I, I, I suggest you check him out because there's we got all these things in the world where we have these extreme hates, and I think we have a chance to, to get past those if we understand them and, and kind of understand them, and that's how we get away. But I just want to mention that last because you mentioned that, but just look up Frank Meek. Let me know what you think about him. Um, thanks, well, thanks for coming on. I've got like 10 thanks seconds. Thanks so much for having me, Billy. What you say? I said thanks so much for having me. It was great. Yep. You have a good day. Take care. You too, dear. Bye-bye. Bye now. Have a, keep up the good work. What you say? <laughs>